City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets. And you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. With 72 hours from free agency, this is Inside the Hive. I am James Plowright, a.k.a. the British Buzz. And joining me a week after the draft, just under a week really, is Chase Whitney. Chase, how you doing? I'm doing well. I've decompressed a little bit just in time to recompress myself again for free agency here in a couple of days. I'm excited to, to talk about it here. We're, we shift gears back into Inside the Hive. No more draft show for a little bit, but... The offseason is the best part of the NBA, so it's exciting. It's bonkers how the draft is like the six-week build-up, right? And then it happens, and then you have a week turnaround until free agency, which arguably is like much more important for the upcoming season, but doesn't seem to get anywhere near as much coverage, I don't think, as, as the draft. I, I always feel like these things need to be spaced out a little bit more. The NBA could milk these for content more, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. And like the free agency thing especially in years like this where there aren't like a ton of stars that are in the free agency pool as unrestricted free agents they could definitely benefit from being able to draw out that content period a little longer than you know six days basically by the time you wake up on that friday morning and free agency starts that night absolutely and on today's episode we are going to be giving a full free agency preview miles bridges pj washington Kelly Oubre, Dennis Matunia, even Svima Kailuk will get a mention. Um, and also looking at other free agents and trade targets that are out there with other teams for Charlotte. Quite an interesting off-season here, a lot of optionality. But before we get into that, and that's going to be the bulk of the podcast, we're just going to start kind of with this. the first time me and Chase have caught up since the draft. Um, thank, you, thank you for those people who tuned in and listened to some of our live reaction draft episodes. But we just want to, like say, decompress like a couple of minutes here. Like, now we are a little bit more detached from the draft. How are you feeling about Charlotte Hornets night on Thursday? You know, I I think I could probably split this up in two different ways. The first round, I, I'm fully into. I'm, I'm on board with Brandon Miller at this point. Talk myself into it very quickly, uh, despite my immediate reaction. Hey, it, it doesn't take me very long. And it's also like, I'm not, we're not going to waste our whole summer being upset about the player that they took at number two in the draft. He's oh, going to so, be good. Some people you know? will. I, oh, I listen, oh, that's true. I listened to some podcast, Chase, and I mean, I feel like people are having to talk each other down from a ledge. It was the most overdramatic thing I've ever yeah. seen in my life. I mean, people it's like, talking yeah. in, such un- in such certainties about a 20-year-old kid who's not played exactly. an NBA game yet. I'm like, exactly. yes, in, in 10 years, like you feel free to look back on this as like maybe a – a challenging night in franchise history, but you can't do that the day after the draft. Come on now. Like let's, let's adapt here. That was, that is literally exactly what I was going to say. I was like, NBA fans have a tendency to like speak in absolutes. It's like, this is either the greatest thing that's ever happened or the worst thing that's ever happened. Right. It could be either one of those, but right now we have no idea. So you might as well just settle in the middle and not give yourself like an extra thing to stress about. Free agency starts at six o'clock. On June 30th, there will be plenty to stress about once there are millions of Woj, Shams, Mark Steins, Chris Haynes tweets flying around. And, you know, the first five of them don't contain uh, the Charlotte Hornets have signed player X. There will be plenty of time to stress when that happens. But right now, let's just wait, watch Summer League in a couple weeks here. But yeah, I mean, the first round I am good with. 
as we, but the second round, I, I think I've talked myself out of it a little bit as we mm. move away from the draft. The value, I think, just could have been a little bit better. And I, I, I know you feel the same way about this, but the, the trade for 34 and 39 to move up to 31, like that just felt like a, we need to get rid of one, turn these two picks into one pick. Let's just make a trade to do so. Yeah. And that's kind of what they got. And uh, James Najee was in the 40s on my board, so not a huge fan of him at the first pick of the second round either. Likely a draft and stash candidate, which they probably needed one of those, even if they had kept all their picks. But And then Amari Bailey is a very, very similar positional player to Nick Smith and James Booknight and LaMelo Ball. So it's just a very tough to envision him being like a rotation player for this team, really or ever getting like those developmental NBA minutes when all of those guys are on the team. So that I've fallen out of favor with a little bit. Um, but what, what about you, James? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I great. I gave my grade to all Hornets SI as a, as a C plus. And I, that is a straight A for the Brandon Miller pick. I, I didn't love the rest of the draft. Um, I think I had Nick Smith again in my late thirties. I think him and James Nagy were back to back maybe at 38 and 39 I had Amari Bailey right around where he was taken. Like, I, I understand the upside swing there. I, I thought it was really interesting that Charlotte went, you know, big name, high school recruit, young guy, late in the first round. James Nashi, 18 years old, one of the youngest guys in the draft. Then they went Amari Bailey, freshman guard. They, they went very much like high upside uh, young players who could miss that you probably don't know as much about as some of the returners. When I thought with the position that they were in, they might look to try and get some like some good M- like NBA players in the building who they can be have confidence about. So I was I was a little surprised at that. I agree with you. I don't love that 39 and 34 move up to 31. It, it like you say, it felt like uh, you know, if Najee goes before 34, we have no idea what to do with these two picks. So let's just trade them both and get rid. I'd much prefer them to trade out of the draft a little bit like Boston did, or trade back with one or two of those picks to pick up guys, you know, pick up picks in later years. But my my theory behind why they did that is you have to remember, this is Mitch Kupchak's probably his last drafts with the team, right? Does Mitch Kupchak really want to be trading like a pick into the future for his replacement? (laughs) Probably not. Like Mitch wants to, he's had his draft board. This is maybe his last time round with new owners coming in on the way. We know how it works. Not, not confirmed, but, we know how these things work, and, and Mitch has said before, he's not going to be doing this forever. It just didn't surprise me that he necessarily wanted to, to stick with some of those picks. But, yeah, I, I'm not in love with it, but like you, we make our judgments on draft night. From there, we move past it. I am more than happy to be proven wrong with all of these. I hope I am. And I do like having a draft and stash player. We love the... You know, annual summer league appearance. We we have enjoyed the time with Arnoldus Kloboka. It's nice to have a guy to track in Europe, especially at a big club at FC Barcelona. And, and interestingly, FC Barcelona's coach uh, stepped down recently, and the new coach has been appointed is James Nagy's old coach, who is the under 18s coach with James Nagy. So he seems to have a good relationship with him. He could be in line for a bigger role. I'm told at Barcelona this year where they're going to be losing some players. So you could have James Nagy maybe even starting on a top EuroLeague team in Europe, that is a, that's quite an experience to get and I think a great developmental situation for him. So I'm, I'm interested to see it. Uh, but I, I 
even though I didn't love all these picks, the reason I didn't love them is because there's an element of risk to them because they're all just so young and have got pretty clear weaknesses and that the floor is probably a little lower than most. But if these guys hit, they can be top 15 quality prospects in this draft. That's no question. It's just unlikely with things like this that you have three essentially freshmen four, if you include Brandon Mill, all hitting in the same draft. That just doesn't happen often. We saw that with the JT Thor, Kai Jones, Book Knight draft. You know, JT Thor, the one people don't expect most, is the guy who hit. So, Yeah, I mean, it's very clear that they're going to put a lot of stock into their player development staff. They've done it a lot over the last couple of years. Uh, the 2021 draft is really the only time you can point to it and say that it hasn't worked. So I can't blame them for... You know, and maybe it was just kind of how the board fell to them, too. Like, I know that uh, they said Nick Smith and Amari Bailey, they had ranked like much higher than where they drafted them. Um, So if you have players like that ranked that highly and they fall to you without you having to move, like it's almost like a not even a decision to make. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, maybe maybe they did have some of those returners that you mentioned, like like as the second or third player on the board right there. But Nick Smith fell from wherever they had him to 27 they had to take him because that type of upside and if you believe in your player development staff which they do if you realize that you're going to outplay the draft slot same with Amari Bailey so I I definitely understand the process it's just the the players themselves I I don't know necessarily would have been my choice and I probably would have gone about that 34 and 39 um, for 31 trade and you know maybe worked around with the draft and stash or two ways or the other roster spots in some other way Agreed. All right, let's move on to free agency. Um, Before we dive into the players, I want to try and set the scene a little bit here. Some of you might be hardcore NBA salary cap junkies. Some of you might not quite understand how it works. So I'm going to do my best to try and explain it here in as simple terms as possible. So the situation for the Charlotte Hornets in free agency is they have 12 players currently under contract. That is not including James Nagy because we love the question mark of him at the moment. Miles Bridges and PJ Washington currently have cap holds of 17 million each. So if you were to include their cap holds, which is essentially just what they count for right now before they're signed, if you were to include both of those, it takes Charlotte up to 14 players and to 138 million total salary. Now the salary cap for this year is set at 136 million. So by retaining Miles and PJ's cap holds, there is negative 2 million cap space. They're over the cap, but they're well clear of the tax. The tax line is 165 million. So still a good, you know, basically 25, 30 million away from that. Uh, Dennis Smith Jr., Sfee Mikhailuk, their cap holds are 2.2 million each. Kelly Oubre's is 16.3. They are unrestricted free agents. So with Miles and PJ, they're restricted. Any player can... Any contract can be matched if they sign it. You know, Charlotte have complete control really over these players. The other three that I mentioned can sign anywhere and there might be nothing that Charlotte can do about it. In terms of other ways to sign players, that does not include cap space. The Hornets have the full MLE, mid-level exception, which is 11.4 million per year. And they also have the biannual exception available, which is 4.4 million a year. So Charlotte can use both of those to sign players while they're over that salary cap figure of 136 million, which they would project to be with Miles and PJ back. The only way they can create cap space to start signing players to more than 11.4 million 
is to trade players away, for example, Gordon Hayward, or by renouncing the cap holds of PJ Washington or Miles Bridges. If they actually resign both of those, they could get up to 30 plus million cap space, which is very unlikely, but it's worth keeping in mind it is possible. Um, important to know, even if Charlotte do resign Miles Bridges or PJ for more than that 17 million cap hold this year, for this season, for this offseason, they will still counter that 17 million price. Even if you sign them for 25 million, it's only next season that they will come in and they will trigger at their new value. So that is a recap of Charlotte's situation. Chase, was that clear? Did you follow me there? Bravo, my friend. That was perfectly clear. I think you've set the stage for us right here. Okay. So with that in mind, we're going to look at obviously the two big names first, which are Miles Bridges and PJ Washington, because I think they're the most interesting names. They're the most, they're the biggest key players, I think, with their salary levels. And let, let's look at Miles Bridges first. What do you think is going to happen with Miles Bridges? I thought long and hard about this, and I really wish I had a better answer, but I have no idea. Like, there have been very few rumors, one way or another, like, what his dollar value will be as a free agent. There have been very little rumors just that allude to whether or not the Hornets as an organization want to bring him back. He has posted on social media of himself wearing Hornets gear and whatnot. He's also only ever played for the Hornets, so it's not like he has you know, Atlanta Hawks and Washington Wizards and Sacramento Kings gear sitting in his closet. Um, but then again, that could also indicate that he and the team have some sort of mutual interest in coming back. But nobody has really reported all that much uh, that is like concrete information regarding like whether or not one party wants to come back or the other or have any plans set in stone right now to do so. I have no clue like what his value is going to be as a player. And I like, if you have a, a guess, I would, I would love to hear it, but I, I, his value last summer, like was probably North of somewhere North of 20 million or around that range. Anyway, I have no clue like whether or not his value has gone down. Maybe it has gone up in some way because of like the level of player that he is and projects to be. And with the new CBA coming, it's going to be hard for teams to pay more than one or two players. So some team could take a risk on him being that number two player and pay him a lot of money. I just have no clear read on it so far. It has been incredibly difficult for me to like make a decision as to like what I think is going to happen here. It's just such a hard thing to read with how infrequent the like updates have been over the last like year, basically almost exactly a year. So, I would be gobsmacked if Miles Bridges wasn't back in a Charlotte Hornets uniform next year. Um, now, you talked about what the value would be. That's where I really struggle. I think he's back in Charlotte. I think that's probably almost already agreed. Um, uh, I'm not reporting that. I just, you know, reading the tea leaves, seeing the, some of the interactions, um, just judging by how people have and sometimes how they haven't talked about Miles Bridges in media availabilities, I think you can take things away. Um, you know, I wrote an article earlier in the year talking about a Kevin Porter Jr. type contract. So the Kevin Porter Jr. type deal in Houston had a bunch of non-guarantees and team options. So it really protected Houston. They were able to get out of the contract at any point, whenever they wanted. Um, I talked about that being an option. Um, last season, the reports were that Charlotte were getting ready to pay, pay Miles Bridges near max money. 
So the idea there, I think, was between 28 to 31 million, something in that range. Um, I can't believe that he is still worth that money. You know, I, I don't understand how you can be, you know, miss a year of basketball that you haven't seen him play. The off-court troubles that you can come back and get the same contract. I, I know, like, if you're his agent, you probably try and argue that he's the same player, he's had a year off, he's healthier. You know, I, I get what you try and do as an agent, but I'm just not buying any of it. Uh, you know, you have to have a level of reduction here, purely from, like, the PR point of view and to kind of pay for your sins a little bit. There has to be some punishment. So... What I've got down is something in the, I think in the 20 million per range, uh, per year range, something that hopefully you could maybe extend off if the team wanted to in the future, something that isn't, you know, too, too low, something that is tradable. Um, but I would have a bunch of non-guarantees, team options, you know, Miles, you're going to have to play well, you're going to have to, you know, keep uh, uh, focused and not have any more off-court distractions or else the team can essentially move on from you easily at any point. That's how I expect it to play out. Yeah, see, the one thing that I just think of too is like other teams are are absolutely going to have interest in him. Like from the Hornets, I, I, I'm sure that they want to bring him back in some regard, but the level of interest that other teams have in him, I think is going to be much higher than people anticipate. Really? I disagree. I think so. But why? So why? I want to hear what, why. You because think I think a lot like as Hornets fans, we look at it and like the crux of the issue here is like, you know, the locker room, like what is that going to do for, you know, a team that has been kind of like going through a lot of these off court issues and things that show up showing up in the news for, you know, not basketball reasons over the last year, year and a half that doesn't really exist for other teams like that. That's not a problem for, you know, Detroit or something who was rumored to have very significant interest in him last summer. Like that would just be, it's not like, it's like, it's almost like it's not fully there like PR problem, like in that moment, because the Hornets have much more to explain by signing him being like to, to, from a, to the fan base anyway, not to like the NBA universe, but being like adding that type of like, PR thing to their locker room that has already the fan base has already had kind of had these issues over the last kind of years with the Pistons and any other team that might be interested doesn't have that. And all it takes is offering like a little bit more money with a few, slightly fewer guarantees or like slightly less restrictive guarantees. And then they would probably just take that. And the Hornets like would be in a pretty tough spot to match that there, I think. But I don't, I don't know. It's, it's literally just such a hard mm. situation to read. It's really I think <laughs> I think the I think the main difference is that I don't think Miles ever lost the locker room in Charlotte. I think I don't think all, so either. That's all those, but it's yeah. a, the fan perspective or perception thing, which, which which I understand. But I mean, I I think this thing like like ever. I, me and you sat here and we said this is how it's going to play out, didn't we? All this time we said there's going to be an out court settlement and Miles Bridges end up back in the Hornets. We we said that literally week after it all happened we said we don't know when it's going to happen but that's probably like the cynic in us we both thought that was going to happen and i, I think that's how it'll play out um i think you know i don't want to get into too much of course stuff but you know his ex his partner or ex-partner it's unclear his now talked about how they she wants him to have the opportunity to be back in the nba that and i think that has changed some of the fan perception now because well suddenly the person who is the victim in this 
is showing sympathy and say, saying to fans that they should accept Miles back. And I think for Hornets fans, that gives them a, a justification in their mind to make it okay again, right? And and that's why, like, we're talking hardcore fans because the casuals aren't following that. But I, I think that's something that's there. Um, I, I also think with the, the selections that the team made, they need some athleticism. They need some rim finishing. Yeah. And I just think he is a really important fit now next to like in between Brandon Miller and in between Lamelle Ball. And if you move him elsewhere, I don't know where you're getting that level of talent back. And I, I kind of think if you're an external team trying to sign Miles Bridges, like what if you sign him to a contract, the Hornets match, but then you just fail to sign a player who is coming off a domestic violence charge. I, I almost wonder if your fans are more likely to reject that ex, as a new fan base than you are as like the existing one where he already is. I, I don't know, but I think like it's, there's an expectation around the league that Charlotte will resign Miles Bridges. There isn't an expectation that Detroit would sign him. So I think it would raise the question more so. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying like it's how maybe like the media works. Yeah, I, yeah, I definitely think that's a fair point. I mean, as far as the on-court fit goes for the Hornets, though, you're definitely right. Like, people wanted Scoot Henderson. One of the main reasons people wanted to draft him was for the rim pressure to pair with Lamella. Miles is that rim pressure guy now. Like, he is uh, among the players that would be in the starting lineup anyway, is probably the best, uh, like, driver, slasher, like, at most athletic finisher that can generate a paint touch easier than anybody else. I mean, probably just in the entire lineup at this point. Um, so he, he is a very important fit. And on top of that, the shot creation flashes he showed, the inefficiency went down a little bit the last year that he played. But if he can be a league average three-point shooter taking the kind of shots that he was taking uh, in the 21-22 season, along with that rim pressure, very solid wing defense, like that is a really important piece uh, next to LaMelo. And then you'd have two high-quality perimeter defenders with him and Brandon Miller, presumably if Brandon Miller pans out in the next couple of years, next to LaMelo, so that alleviates that pressure off of him even further. An important CBA note to be aware of. In the new CBA, you can sign people to rookie extensions for five years, even if it's not mm-hmm. for a max, which was so, which in the old CBA, it had to be a max. So this is my question. Like, you could sign Miles Bridges for like five years, 100 million, which is 20 per year for the next five years, which would take my, I, I don't even know how old is Miles Bridges now. He must be 24, something of that nature. I think like he's you, 25. 20, you'd be getting Miles Bridges up to his age 30 season, which maybe I don't love that with someone who's maybe so reliant on athleticism like Miles is. Um, but that's something to keep in mind here. Like if, if Charlotte really want to commit to the guy, they can do it for five years. Um, I, I'd be reluctant to do that. For, for me, I'm thinking something around the four years, 80 million mark. A knockdown for the off-court issues, also with some non-guarantees and the team option. Uh, that's kind of what I'm I'm predicting will happen. But yeah, I'd be shocked at this point if Miles wasn't back on the team. All right. Should we move on to the, the, the second most popular restricted free agent on the Charlotte Hornets roster this offseason? Now, this is where it gets interesting. This is a tough one. Yeah. This is a toughie. Uh, PJ Washington. Um has a very similar uh, contract situation with Miles Bridges in terms of his 17 million qualifying offer. Uh, sorry, cap hold. He's a 9 million qualifying offer, which he could just take and sign and be an unrestricted free agent next year. My question to you is if Miles Bridges is back on the team next year and the team re signed PJ Washington, what's his role, Chase? 
That is a fantastic question. I think as of now, he's probably the backup four. But there is a world, I think, in which, and we talked about this right when Brandon Miller was drafted and in our uh, draft recap podcast, if they view him as a two, there is a world where he's the starting four long-term and then either probably Terry Rozier, but most likely Rozier and or Hayward get moved and free up. That frees up a ton of minutes in the front court for him and would move you know, each play other player, Miles and Brandon Miller down the positional ladder more to be perimeter, more to be more perimeter based players. And then that starting four spot would be all PJs. And he would be basically like the fourth option offensive player, which is probably an ideal role for him. But even as a backup, then he would be like one of the highest level backups in the league. But that's where it starts to get trickier because yeah, where you're like investing that salary slot and the role that that player is playing they kind of have to match up with this new CBA a lot more than they did in the past. Uh, and there is a very strong chance that another team makes a, a, a good run at PJ that makes it hard for the Hornets to keep him back. I think given the, the rumors that we've heard about other players at his position and the, like the Nas Reed extension, I think there's a strong chance that PJ gets a much better offer than Hornets fans are anticipating him. Chase, I have a little surprise game for you, all right? I, I, we're going to play, is, is P.J. Washington better than, okay? Ooh, and I, okay. I, want it, I want us to think about this over the next three years. So keep in mind ages and everything like that. Um, is P.J. Washington better than Kevin Looney? Uh, over the next three years, I think so, yes. Is he better than Lou Dort? Yes, that's uh, that's uh, the, the positional difference is tough, but I think so. Probably because the size and shooting is valuable. You better than Marvin Bagley? Yes, uh, yeah. Kelly, Kelly Olynyk. Yes, yeah. I like Kelly a lot, but I, I anticipate that trailing off. Tyus Jones. Oh, that's another tough one because the position Ugh, for the Hornets specifically a ugh, a, def- a capable defensive backup point guard would be very useful. Oof. Yes. Uh, yeah. I'm a, I think it's easier to find a player like Tyus Jones than PJ. I'll go for that okay. so far. Bobby Portis. Ooh. Mm. Wow. Man, these are tough. Yeah. I, th- I mean, I also, I like PJ quite a bit as a player and I think I'm more open to keeping him than most people that follow the Hornets are. So I'll probably say yes for that too, just because he's so much younger than a lot of these guys too, that, that have played the same position anyway. And finally, Brandon Clark. That one I'm I might oh god Brandon Clark can't shoot though. Oh man, PJ being able to shoot just really makes it tough to look away. Ah oh, god. I'll go PJ. I'm just gonna I'll, a clean clean sweep. You've, for gone, PJ you've gone for a clean sweep of yes. Right, okay. Yeah. I, I think look, I think Kevin Looney I would probably rate as a better player than PJ Washington. Um I'd probably have Bobby Portis ahead of PJ Washington as well. And if Brandon Clark was healthy pre-injury, Brandon Clark, I maybe would have edged him as well a little bit. But I, but maybe now with an injury, I probably would say I'd rather have PG Washington. Um, I'm going to go through the salaries of all those guys. Kevin Looney is on eight million per year. Lou Dort sixteen per year. Marvin Bagley is twelve per year. As is Kelly Olynyk. As is Bobby Portis. As is Brandon Clark. Tyus Jones is at fifteen per year. You know, you've just said that you think PG Washington is better than basically all these players. And they are on mostly, you know, around 12 per year with, you know, one or two players and a little bit more, a little bit less. 
Um, that suggests to me that his market will be something in the the 15 range. However, like I know some of those, like Brandon Clark was a really close one. And PJ Washington is a restricted free agent, whereas some of those are unrestricted and generally restricted free agents don't get paid quite as well because they're not on the open market. They don't have that you know, supply and demand driving the price up. So what sort of money do you think it would take for PJ to return? And, and like you said, if he's starting power forward, that's one thing. But if he's going to be your backup power forward playing 16 minutes per game, like if Brandon Miller can't play the two, which is, we don't know that yet. He's going to be your backup power forward, maybe earning between 12 to 15 million per year. That just doesn't feel like a great situation to be in. He's not going to be in a role where he's going to show his value and be able to like be be a good tradable contract because he's playing 16 minutes per game. He's going to be stuck in there. He's going to slowly lose value and it'll be a harder contract to move. Yeah, what do you think PJ's market will be? See, I think he'll probably land somewhere between where the Nas Reed extension just landed, which was three years, 42 million. Not that they're like similar players play the same role or on the same like type of team. The Timberwolves are obviously looking to make the playoffs and make a run in the playoffs a little bit sooner than the Hornets are. Um, and then the Cam Johnson extension, which was rumored today, he's looking for like about a hundred million dollars. That's not, you know, not as concrete as what Nas Reed has actually already signed. How many years? I would imagine. I don't know if the years were specified, but I'd okay. imagine it's over four years. Four, I think. Yeah, no, it'd be five years because uh, he'd have the uh, early bird, the bird rights extension with Brooklyn being traded. Um, so he would be basically between twenty and twenty-five million a year. I imagine he falls somewhere in between that, maybe a little closer to the Cam Johnson range, though, because like I've made this point a couple times, like on this on the podcast in the past, his combination of size, strength defensive like versatility and just general aptitude like he averaged a block and a steal per game the last three seasons combined with being a career 37 percent three-point shooter on very high volume for a player that is strictly a front court player like taking five threes a game is nothing to scoff at like over his career especially with how much his minutes have fluctuated i think that's going to be like really really valuable to teams that are looking for one more like mid-tier like or like slightly upper like upper tier cost free agent to add to their like playoff nucleus like that type of player that can defend three through five can shoot can pass a little bit and is a at least a somewhat reliable ball handler and creator as he showed this year is like just insanely valuable and it's I, I think it's more valuable to a more competitive team than the Hornets are and I mm. he's like a prime candidate to be like Wow, why are you know people across the nation not talking about this guy enough now that he's on the Dallas Mavericks and is starting uh, alongside Luca and Kyrie? Like he looks so good. Nobody talked about him on the Hornets. Like he is a prime candidate to be that type of like breakout player if he leaves the team. I think. I agree with you that he would maybe be more valuable to a playoff team. Um, I I think a little bit on his his role there. I. Yes, if you look at the raw stats, you know, over block and steal. Let's stop with that. PJ Washington has played heavy minutes for the Charlotte Hornets team because they've been bad. Like, well, not bad, but not good. A lot of playoff teams, he's not getting those minutes. There's probably a lot of guys who I think could probably put up a similar thing to him if they had the opportunity. I can't, we can't forget about his inconsistency, which has been a consistent, consistently inconsistent throughout his career. And this is my biggest issue with PJ. 
Like, he seems to be a one-position player. I know we flirted with him being the small ball center. It doesn't seem like that's the way the team want to go moving forward, and he can't play the three. And just being like a one-position player, like, if he could switch between the three and the four or was, like, a legitimate true four-five, I think, like, I'm happier about it because then you can come off your bench and you can play 25 minutes because you're, you know, spotting in different positions. But just his limited position versatility for me, takes a little bit of value away. And, and for as good as he is shooting outside, I'd say that he also struggles on the interior, you know, so for someone of his size. So I'm just I'm just really torn on how this is going to play out. Um, I, I do, but like you said, I think there are a lot of teams out there who could be really interested in PJ Washington. He would fit them a lot better than he fit Charlotte. And that's why I think the exploring the signing trade market for PJ Washington is really interesting. You know, Mitch Kupchak mentioned in his post-draft press conference, they want to try and get a leader, a leader who can play. And like, if you just re-sign Miles Bridges, Dennis Smith Jr. and PJ Washington, you're not addressing your leadership issue. That's just who you had last year. <laughs> so I think, and the only, I think Miles will like be back. I think PJ is your best chance if you want to try and get out there, pursue someone, he is your best way to do that. Do you think that's a, a fair a fair comment? Yeah. I, of the players that are like currently free agents, I think so. I mean, obviously, Terry Rozier and Gordon Hayward, the yeah. salary slot that they occupy, are, you can get somebody like that as well. But of, of the players that are free agents right now, I, I yeah, I would definitely agree with that because that type of you know veteran that's not going to come in and expect to be a top two or three player on the team but also is going to be a high level contributor and play a really big role for you and be like a willing locker room leader probably falls in that like 15 to 25 million dollar salary slot and a couple of rules of signing trades for the listeners um any team that makes a signing trade or essentially would be receiving pj washington they would be hard capped for the rest of the year all the way till next summer so that's something you've got to keep in mind. There are there are things in place to try and put teams off doing that. So that would be one thing. It has to be at least a minimum of a three-year deal. The team would be trade, uh, signing PJ4 and then trading him. The team has to be under the tax. And when they add PJ Washington, they can't be above the apron, which uh, I, I haven't got the apron figure right in front of me right now, but they can't be over the apron. So it's not every single team in the league can just sign and trade with PJ Washington. It, it does cut you off. The other thing is they can't have used the taxpayer MLE in that year. So, for example, if uh, New Orleans Pelicans use their taxpayer MLE in the first day of free agency, they then can't pay PJ Washington in a sign and trade. So you have to keep that in mind when working through free agency, uh, trying to look for these sign and trade partners. Um, a couple of teams to mention, I went through all of them who I felt were eligible and could have interest. Atlanta, Brooklyn, Houston, Indiana, Memphis, New Orleans, OKC, Orlando, Phoenix, San Antonio. I went through all of them. There was only one deal that I felt made any sense in terms of like for that team, for Charlotte getting someone back. Um, like I do, if you just want to trade PJ away for picks, then you've probably got a bit of a wider net here. But in this scenario, I was trying to look for a, a bit of a, a leadership player to bring back a vocal leader. Um, but if they wanted to just go down the Devontae Graham route where they basically get, like, say, a first-round pick and some salary filler, whereas I wouldn't do, I think they got in the Graham deal, that would be something they could they could do. And there'd be a lot of places, I'm sure, willing to willing to get P.J. Washington. 
This is what I run about, want to run by you because I think this makes sense for both teams and I'm interested to get your thoughts. New Orleans Pelicans need some shooting, right? Need some shooting around Zion. Um, also, quite a crowded wing. Trey Murphy, Zion, Brandon Ingram. How about Herb Jones for PJ Washington? Straight up. I think Mer- Mer- Trey- uh, Herb Jones has played power forward more than small forward for the past two years in the league. We talked about the need to surround the mellow ball with defensive playmakers. And that is exactly what Herb Jones is. I think probably one of the top 20 wing defenders in the league, if not top 15. Um, young, Alabama, Crimson Tide, Roll Tide with uh, Brandon Miller again. Um, what do you think of that? As a, as a center deal. Do you think that's fair? I I mean, if New Orleans is willing to move him, I think that would be very fair for both sides. It's, I think in the grand scheme of things, they're both very similar value and level of players right now. Like, I don't know where they'd fit in in the league hierarchy, but I can't imagine it would be too far away from each other, even though they play different positions and have very different skill sets. Like, they both probably bring a similar value to the table, and i I think I agree with you that they both might fit a little bit better with each on other. the team they'd be going yeah. to. Herb, Herb Jones, not a great shooter, but would be surrounded by a lot of very good or at least much better shooters than him in Charlotte. And PJ could be that guy that just spaces the floor for Zion and Ingram. And uh, it just is like an all around like defensive piece that can be, you know, switched and molded depending on what lineups they have on the floor. I actually really like that. I hadn't, I hadn't even thought about Herb Jones because I, He's just good, so you, yeah. you wouldn't think that he'd be he'd be available. But for I mean, for any team really, like as long as it's a fair proposal, like anybody's available at this at this time of the year. So I I, I would be all on board with that. That's a, that is a very good. I'm glad I made it spin right there. there. I, I spent a lot of time looking through those teams and going, there is Ethel here, and then I got <laughs> yeah. to New Orleans, and I was like, oh, this this makes some sense for both teams. Um, there's also some double signing trade opportunities like Grant Williams, uh, Rui Hachimura, mm. a guy Charlotte reportedly really liked in that draft. Um, like those are some guys you could do double signing trades, but I, I just have a hard time believing that both either Rui or Grant Williams have Charlotte on their list of destinations to come to in free agency. And that's for me where it just begins to fall down a little bit. Yeah, I actually thought about Grant Williams, too, because I was like, maybe that could just be like a lower cost version of the player that is playing yeah. PJ's role. But then that also... Much more vocal. Right, exactly. And he he would actually help a lot with that because he plays yeah. really, really hard and he like he like talks shit and like is like willing to push people around. And the Hornets just don't have a guy like that really in the same way that Grant does it anyway. But that also implies that Boston is willing to pay PJ a lot of money, which... There, I think the reason that Grant might not go back to Boston would be because they don't want to pay him very much more than like the MLE, which I don't think they'd want to do even more for PJ either. Because I was, I was actually why this was what triggered this thought was I was watching uh, get up this morning and just adding like a player like Grant Williams for a team that is as over the cap as Boston is, which pretty much every Eastern Conference competitor is in a similar range. Adding a player like Grant Williams at fifteen million dollars adds like thirty-five million dollars to your tax bill. So when you're a team in that range, signing players like Grant Williams, PJ Washington, even like Miles Bridges, like the amount of teams that are in the upper echelon of the taxpayers uh, like area, they just can't sign guys like this without adding insane amounts of money to their lottery or to their tax bill. So 
I'd be surprised if if it's like a very high level team, but like maybe like an up and coming team could swoop in there and and trade for him, like like a New Orleans per, perhaps. So it, PJ's market is one of the most interesting in the entire NBA. I think like if he if he played for like the Lakers or something, he would be one of the most talked about restricted free agents on the market. I think. I think the NBA. I think NBA fans and media underrate him compared to what NBA teams do. I think Charlotte I, I agree. have like a pretty good, very accurate. Like, you know, I'm looking at free agency rankings right here. Um, and you go to power forwards and uh, they have in the starter category, Jeremy Grant, Kyle Kuzma, Harrison Barnes, Herb Jones, Grant Williams, Miles Bridges. PJ Washington is in the rotation branch there behind Harrison Barnes, behind Grant Williams, which I mean, we know why Grant Williams is like Grant Williams has been on Boston, but he was like not even in the rotation, basically yeah. in the playoffs. Right. Um, I think PJ Washington is a better player than Grant Williams. The only reason I would look to do a double signing trade is because you're getting someone who is maybe a little bit more happier with a backup role in Grant Williams than, than PJ Washington would be, and he's a little bit more of a vocal leader on that end and a little bit tougher, probably defensively. So, yeah, I, I think, but I think NBA teams are onto it, I think they know. Um, I, I think, like you say, I do think people will be sleeping a little bit going, P.J. Washington, really? And I think in the right situation, he could be a really imp- impactful player. Um, anything else in P.J. Washington or that, that power forward position, if, if P.J. Washington were to go and anyone else kind of you want to throw out there as a name? Um, I don't think so. I, you know, maybe if they're going big fish hunting, if P.J. gets let go. Maybe Jeremy Grant is in the cards or something like that, but that would require some other maneuvering. But that's if they're they're really pushing their chips in right now, yeah. which I'd be surprised. But it doesn't sound like you know crazier of any time. It's not we don't build through free agency. Then why did you yeah. sign Gordon Hayward? But anyway, you keep saying <laughs> that anyway, Mitch. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean the, the other thing, like if you do let him go and you want to sign a vet leader. I guess you could sign someone like Thad Young or Jeff Green just as like a vet minimum free agent leader guy for uh, depth. I I don't love it. I think your team gets worse. I think I'd rather just re-sign PJ in that situation, but it's but it's possible, I guess. In terms of predict- prediction here, what do you think is going to happen? What do you think PJ is going to get paid? Oh, you know, I think ultimately, I think he's going to end up coming back. I'd probably put his like average annual value salary. I'll go 19 million. I, they'll come in just shy of 20. I think that that will please PJ and his camp while also making it, you know, more easy or easier to stomach for the Hornets going in the, into the long term here. Wow. Okay. We're going to be disagree a little bit here. I'm going for two years, 28 million with a player option on the second year. Um, I, don't, I don't think PJ Washington is going to be necessarily happy with that money, but at the same time, he probably doesn't want to just sign that qualifying offer for, for 8 million. Um, like have a, have another year. Hopefully he can, he'll be hoping to hold on to that power forward role, especially with the Miles Bridges suspension. He'll definitely have an opportunity at least early to play a lot to show teams and then try and get back out on the open market. Maybe, maybe next season. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking he's going to be just because of that restricted status. I, I see him, don't see a world where he's going to get more than that 12 to 30 million range, in, in my opinion. But yeah. Okay. 
Moving on, unrestricted free agents. We're going to focus on Dennis Smith Jr. because I think he's the most interesting guy here. Um, Dennis Smith Jr. for his career has made $25 million. Obviously had a complete career resurrection last year. Uh, loved his role in Charlotte. Uh, it's his home state. He has a great relationship with Steve Clifford. He's spoke, spoken glowingly about him and his teammates and being in Charlotte. Um, he's been to a lot of other franchises, not been treated the best. Detroit, New York, Dallas. Uh, do you think there is a world where Dennis Smith Jr. just wants to come back to Charlotte because he knows the coaching staff, he knows the team, he knows he's going to have a role, and he just wants the security? Or does he think, I'm 25 years old, this is a chance for me to, to get a big payday after a good year being one of the best defensive guards in the league. I can go get a, you know, a larger contract, maybe elsewhere playing on a contender. See, I think that there is a pretty reasonable chance that the Hornets are going to try like to, to keep him, but the role that he plays as just like very reliable backup point guard, the only like massive negative in his game is his shooting gravity but he can really defend. He's a really good passer. He can obviously get to the rim and dunk on people at much a higher rate than most people his size can. But the backup point guard role is not necessarily the most highly paid position in the NBA, but all it's going to take is just the, the another team maybe with another, like the exact, because it's going to be the exact same role. He's not ever going to be a starter in Charlotte. Like no. it's just, with especially with the players they added this year in the draft, but even just having LaMelo and Terry there, he was never going to play a bigger role really than what he had last year because so many players were hurt. Like he probably ended up playing more minutes than he would next year, provided the team was healthy. So if it's just similar amounts of money and then the role go, but is the same, but on, you know, maybe a more competitive team, like someone like Miami, I think is, I'd be very surprised if they don't go after him because that, Backup playmaker spot. It's a great one fit. The, it's one of the weaker spots in their rotation. They don't have to pay him a ton because it's not like he's going to be commanding, you know, 12 million, like a full MLE or something like that. Like backup point guards that aren't the sixth man of art just don't really get paid that much all that often. And he's not necessarily a shooter, which is going to bring that value down a little bit even more, I think. But it's just going to, all it's going to take is just an extra couple million dollars and, the team being a little bit better and the opportunity to continue proving himself, but for a team that's, you know, making a deep playoff run, which then I think could set you up for a bigger payday going forward. If you can prove that, you know, maybe you can overcome the, the shooting struggles that he's shown last year and still be an effective player for a very competitive team. You know, that might push it over the edge, but I think, I think both sides obviously have mutual interest here, but I, he's another guy that I think the market is going to be, a bit surprising to like the larger NBA universe here. I'm just torn. I, I, in a vacuum, I think it makes sense. And then I think back to, well, that means the second unit would have Dennis Smith Jr. and Nick Richards, neither of whom can shoot. And how are you ever going to have a good offense when you have two guys on the floor who are complete non-shooting threats in 2023? And that's where I like, I, it makes sense. It makes sense. I think back to all the plays, all the impact he makes and then I look at the team's offensive rating when he's on the floor, and it was atrocious. And that's where I struggle with Dennis Smith. Um, I, and I, I, I don't know what I would do in this situation. I, I think, you know, I'd like to see who else you can maybe get. 
But as soon as you do that, you maybe risk alienating Dennis Smith and he starts to look elsewhere. Um, there are guys out there who I think are interesting. Probably Gabe Vincent's the most interesting, but it feels like you you'd be buying into Gabe Vincent at the, the peak of his value here coming off this playoff yeah. run. But Gabe Vincent is a, an interesting name, 27-year-old, you know, shooter, played in Miami, tough, uh, obviously had a very good playoffs. Uh, he's a name. Other names we've got out here, like Pat Bev, he's not coming to Charlotte. Dennis Schroeder, I don't think he's ever coming to Charlotte. The, the Hornets could have signed him at any point in the last three years. He's been on the scrap heap. Jevon Carter for the Milwaukee Bucks is maybe an interesting guy because he can shoot and bring some of that defense a little bit, but probably isn't the playmaker or ball handler that Dennis Smith is. Trey Jones, I think he's got a team option or he's restricted. Obviously, we've still got our friend Teo Maladon, Derek Rose, Seth Curry. But like none of them feel like Seth Curry isn't really a point guard. He's a he's a shooter, and yeah. Derek Rose is, is near the end. I just don't see a lot of other great options out there. And then I just kind of circle back to, well, maybe Dennis Smith, even if he can't shoot, is the best option for the Hornets' second unit. But what would you draw the line at for money for Dennis Smith? Because you can re-sign him using the, the biannual exception for $4.4 million for two years, and that basically would mean that Charlotte would maintain that full MLE of 11 Point four million, they wouldn't have to dip into that to sign him. Do you think? Do you think that's enough for Dennis Smith? See, it's just like it, it might be, but then again, if like if Miami offers him that same thing, I think then it is no longer enough. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it's it's just like it's it's very similar to PJ. Like if he gets the same amount of money from a competitive team where he can show that skill set on a much higher stage and have set himself up a little better for a future payday, because Dennis Smith. Like he's a, a lot younger, I think, than people realize. Like he he's twenty five years old. Yeah. Like he is going to sign, presuming presuming that he's he's a year older NBA. than Kobe Brown, who just got drafted. He's <laughs> two years younger than Cody Martin, who like to like that. It's crazy how how young he is still. Like if he pay, if his career like ends up you know lasting through his prime into his early thirties, he's going to sign like two or three more contracts. So like it's not necessarily this one that needs to be it but like in a way he needs to make sure that he's really maximizing that value if it's not like that big payday that he's looking for but i think my 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 threshold probably would be something like the the biannual exception maybe just like a flat like five million dollars or something like that would be like the mark that i'd look to bring him back at but actually i have an i have an option for you that you didn't mention there uh and it's kind of just like of like a very, very similar trajectory to what Dennis Smith would have been on last year and a, a very similar kind of signing here. You want to know who it is? Fire away. What about Chris Dunn? With the, he played last season. He got a couple 10 days with the Utah Jazz. Utah Jazz, yeah. He has been in and out of the league. Over, or wasn't really in and out of the league, but he, he kind of just fell out for two years there in like 2020 and 2021 and just got a couple of 10 days during the – the COVID stretches, but once he got caught on with Utah last year, he played 22 games and played 26 minutes a game with them. He averaged 13 points, five rebounds, six assists, a mm. steal, and a half a block per game. So that is obviously that. That's a very small sample. I'm sorry. What'd you say? Percentages, shooting percentages. See that? <laughs> that's the problem. <laughs> that's uh, you got to give me the full picture here. <laughs> right, very similar to Dennis Smith Jr. Throughout his career, he's a thirty yeah. percent three point shooter. That was basically the reason that he didn't pan out as an NBA player, despite being drafted fifth in twenty sixteen. 
Yep, I scrolled to the top of his basketball reference page. That was right. Uh, that was a very good pull for me right there. I'm, I'm going to give myself credit for it. But that was basically the reason he fell out of the league. But he, oh, did, shoot, he did shoot 48% last year on 36 attempts in those 22 games. So very, very much a small sample size here. But that's kind of what the Hornets got in Dennis Smith Jr. Like he had played really well in a small sample with the Blazers that year before. Like his finishing numbers yeah. through contact and at the rim were crazy with the Trail Blazers when he, ha he had that stint with them. Maybe you get a similar reclamation project, albeit a bit older player with Chris Dunn, who's 29 now, but somebody who's like been through the ringer and like can be that locker room leader in a much different way. Like he was playing in the G League for the, the year prior to that with the, the Capital City Go-Go. And he got signed off of that team and immediately like latched on with Utah and was a very effective rotation player for them down the stretch. Uh, granted, when they were tanking, but like this is the type of thing that the Hornets seem to be good at is like rolling the dice on, you know, high, low risk, high reward players that have panned out time and again, whether it's through the draft or free agency or whatever. But I think that could be a low cost uh, Dennis Smith reprise with, here with Chris Dunn. You could definitely get him yeah. at the minimum, I would imagine. I think it's a really good name. I'm really happy you brought that up. Uh, it's not something I thought about. It's not something I considered. I knew he caught on with Utah at the end of the year. I can't pretend I was watching a lot of jazz games. At the end of the <laughs> right. but, not, uh, you're not alone in that. Don't worry. No. Uh, but that's, it's a good name. It's worth keeping in mind. Um, I mean, he had a 19.14 assist game, two double doubles, a 26 and 10 rebound game. Like the flashes are are there. Like yeah. it, it'd be it'd be interesting if they rolled the dice on that. The other way is you could, could just flip this on its head completely, right? You let Dennis Smith Jr. walk, and Terrazier becomes your sixth man point guard, and you start Brandon Miller at the two, <laughs> just to blow everyone's mind. That could right. happen, and that yeah, that could happen, and like. Cody Martin's going to come back and be healthy. Yeah, he can. We play. all remember the Cody Martin point guard experiments from a few years ago, when when James Borrego yeah. basically had no other options and would use him as like their kind of secondary initiator. In summer league, he was like that was like his like lab and like his testing ground to to be like a, a lead initiator. It didn't always work, but it could it could happen. I mean, he's you know a much older guy, had presumably is much more experienced yeah. within the offense and has a better feel for the game than he did when that happened. So. And with, maybe the ball handlers are already on the roster. And yeah, with, my, with Miles out. Bridges potentially back, Brandon Miller back, those are two guys who you can like run offense through legitimately. Yeah. And they just weren't on the roster last season. So you needed your point guard to do more because you had freaking Bryce McGowan's and JT Thor out there. Well, you know, there's going to be a bit of an upgrade this, this season coming, I'm glad to tell you. So, that, I mean, that is another way that they could pivot and go. It, it would surprise me. But um, like I actually think it could make some sense if in terms of if you just punt that position and then it gives you more flexibility to bring back your your Uber, your Miles, and you can then maybe got, you know, you still got that roster spot then to add someone else as well. Yeah, that, that's a very that's a very good point. I that'll be that'd be it, they've got a quite a road ahead of them here with the, a lot of free agents up. Should we talk about the next guy on the list that you mentioned at the end there? Yeah, go ahead. All right. This this guy I think is going to have a much you know lower approval rating or uh, have a much fewer fans desiring to bring him back. But Kelly Oubre Jr. over the last couple of years with the Hornets, I think it's safe to say he's he's outplayed the contract value that they signed him on. Or can at I, least can I, can I say he's par? I want to say he's par for the course. I think I think he's met it exactly. I want to say not outplayed I, it, not underplayed it. 
See, I, th- I think that is fair, but he did average 20 points a game this past season. The yeah, efficiency but Chase, was not that's there, not but the same as it was 10 years ago. That's, you know that's how many fair. players average 20 points a game this year? I mean, it's like a 40 lot. something players. And yes, quite he was a on an ass Hornets team. Yes. <laughs> was, he, he did well with what he had, but it was just like downhill drives and floaters and getting fouled. I, I just don't. Being hey, but you, you could make the same team. arguments for Dennis Smith, though, and just being like, well, he was on a terrible team. Someone had to get, you know, be their point of attack defender, you know, get all those assists as the lead playmaker. You could make a similar case, I think. And Kelly was only making like $13 million like last year. And I, 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 I obviously we don't have time or this list in front of us, but the amount of players that scored 20 points per game and that weren't on their rookie contract that also made uh, the mid-level exception, I would imagine is probably very small, if not like only consisting of, of Kelly Oubre. Um, the efficiency wasn't there, but I think he improved in some areas as a creator and like ball screen decision maker and scorer, uh, at least in much different ways than he was previously, just as like a transition guy and spot up threes and like cuts for, you know, high explosive dunks that, you know, he can his head scrapes the ceiling and all that kind of stuff. He's a much more like functional scorer now. But I, I, I don't. I just think that with the whole. Way, I mean, obviously drafting Brandon Miller, that's going to be take be a hit to players like Kelly Oubre yeah. or 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 Svi Mikhailuk, another wing that we're going to talk about because they're just adding a player of similar size at that position that the Hornets have much higher hopes for uh, in the future than either one of these guys, but. I do think that they also kind of need more depth on the wing. Like we don't, we don't really have that many guys on the roster that are, you know, six, eight athletic defenders that can shoot, handle the ball and defend at a requisite level, like across the board, like miles kind of fits that description. PJ fits that description, I guess, but he's not really a wing. And then the rest of the guys that fit that are all like way under like six, five or six, six and, you know, Bryce McGowan's is probably the next closest guy that really fits that. And he's six, seven. So adding players of size on the wing, I think is important. And Kelly definitely has that and has shown that he can fit in with the Hornets, how well, and to what level you want to pay a player that fits in, in the way he does, that is a different story, but I think he's shown that he's worth considering keeping around in the future uh, at the right cost. And if the fit is right. Would Kelly Oubre on this team next year help the Hornets? Yes. Do I think he'll be on the team next year? No. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think I agree I think with that. You draft Scoop, it was the end of Dennis Smith Jr. You draft Brandon Miller, I think it's the end of Kelly Oubre. Unless they make some big trade by moving Gordon Hayward, then at that point, yeah, absolutely. I think there is a clear defined role for Kelly Oubre. He may even start at the start of things. He might or come off the bench. He'll have a clear role. Um, I think he's someone who's going to want to know what sort of role he has. Um, I think that is very unclear right now with the Bryce McGowan's coming on, with the drafting of Brandon Miller, Miles Bridges potentially returning. I don't, you know, he's not coming to sign for Charlotte for 12 minutes per game. And I think he can go uh, probably play on a better team elsewhere, uh, get paid maybe more money, have a greater role. And I just don't think the Hornets can compete with that, like I said, unless there is some, some major trade. And I think Rod Boone actually reported in the shops over today that he's unlikely to return uh, to Charlotte with the drafting of Brandon Miller and Cody Martin, Cody Martin and Bryce McGowan's coming back uh, next season as well. So I don't have a lot of notes on Kelly. Um, I think 
it's strange because he's probably one of the best players from last year, but just the way it's played out, I don't see him being back in Charlotte next season. Yeah, I mean, he got the MLE with Charlotte. I would be, I would bet that he's going to get that again. Maybe it'll be from Charlotte. I'd be surprised if it was, but yeah, I mean, he's going to be. He's. I, I feel like he's almost certainly just an MLE guy somewhere. It's just a matter of where. Yeah, and but Kelly did a lot of good things for the Hornets. So if he doesn't come back, then then that's a lot him in the future. He he, he, he revived revived his career a little bit. I think at least in terms of like how much he's going to get paid going forward. I agree. Svima Kailuk. Um, we won't spend too long on this. <laughs> so, I'm sorry, Svi. Look, Svi, Svi did... Svi Mikhailuk, let's talk about Svi Mikhailuk. He had the best ending to the season that any throw-and-trade guy has like ever had in the history of the Charlotte Hornets. Oh, he was yes. a guy who was like, not even, shouldn't even be in the NBA, and he ended up being like the best player on the team for the last 10 games of the season and actually put up some good performances. Um, he shot the ball well. He handled the ball well. He just made like smart offensive plays. Um, saying all that, I just don't see it in Charlotte, but he's definitely going to play somewhere. And again, if, if the Hornets made a bunch of moves and they had a roster spots left and they needed to add some, like a 3-4 guy onto their roster and, and they've already got their veteran leader guy because that's not what Svi is. But if they needed someone, I think the team would be really comfortable bringing Svi back. And he might be a guy I'd like keep my eye out down the line in a year or two where like he's out the NBA or something and Charlotte have a need and it's like, oh, remember Svi, let's bring him back. Um, so I didn't see it with Svi. Uh, I think the team will move on, but he's given himself a chance, at least a chance in Charlotte and definitely a chance somewhere. I agree. Uh, like, honestly, one of my favorite things about the Hornets season or like storylines to come of it was that guys like Dennis Smith and Svi yeah. put themselves in a position to continue being NBA players and keep making money. I mean, those two, like, 25-point games that he had were electric down, like, down. I think it was, like, Toronto. He had, like, 26 and 5. Uh, like, he was, like, at, he got, like, five assists in, like, all, all of their last, like, five or six games. It was just a really, really he cool He was legit run. good. He was, re, he was a very effective player to end the season. Like, and they were we playing, just like, competitive basketball. Like, they weren't, yeah. you know, tanking in the same way that other teams were in the last – five or six games of the season. So you just have to be dangerous not to overreact to those last game right. stretches. Like right. you say, Chris Dunn just averaged whatever he averaged, you know, straight out right. of the G League. So we can't overreact, but at the same time you recognize someone who who gave, you know, made himself some money and gave himself a chance. Yeah. I mean if you can get Svi on the minimum, you know, any team, maybe someone like the Rockets, like they kind of did this with Garrison Matthews like a couple of years back, just kind of seeing yeah. if a guy that can be a shooter three and D like bottom of the rotation guy you can just get him to stick on a low value contract maybe they could try that with speed might not be off the board on july 1st but uh <laughs> might not yeah if, if he's the first woes tweet then can you imagine speed mckay look yeah <laughs> okay um i have one last free agency thought i think i want to share really um i i sent a tweet out the other day after hearing the cupcake press conference about harrison barnes uh, and it's someone who we didn't talk about when we were talking about power forwards, and I forgot, which I meant to. Um, I think Harrison Barnes would be the perfect player to come to the Charlotte Hornets. I, I Honestly, I think it makes so much sense. I've like almost convinced myself now it's just going to happen. I mean, he um, went to North Carolina, so obviously that's... that's he went to UNC. He's got championship pedigree. He's known for his renowned leadership. He can play both the three and the four. Um 
He's played more four as the years have gone on here as he's got a little bit slower. He's definitely out the door in Sacramento. That's happening. There's some links from Jake Fish today linking him with Indiana, but they have just drafted Jarris Walker. Um, again, a signing trade with PJ Washington and Harrison Barnes is for me probably the most interesting signing trade, double signing trade swap uh, for the two. I mean, Sacramento have free agency cap space, so they don't necessarily need to sign and trade him. But again, PJ is restricted free agent. What like he's not someone who's going to change your franchise. He probably won't be as good as PJ Washington over the next three years, just because of the age curves. That's solely what I'm putting it down to. But what do you think of Harrison Barnes as being an adult in the room in Charlotte, playing as the the identified backup power forward, um, and just just generally being this team's leader? Can can you think of are there any is there anything I'm missing missing here? Am I just being like blind and thinking that this is perfect? No, I mean I I really like him too. He'd probably he'd be on my list of like premier unrestricted free agency targets that you know other teams are obviously going to be pursuing. But if the Hornets can land them, then that would be one of yeah. the guys that I'd really want. The only full thing that is, money, do you think full Emily? I think it maybe would maybe take a little more than that. Yeah. Like maybe approaching like 14, 15 million. But the only negative I can really think though is like Kai Jones and JT Thor are not playing this year if he is there. And like if you bring even one of Miles Bridges or PJ back, then you have Miles or PJ, Harrison Barnes, Mark Williams, and Nick Richards uh, occupying like that front court, like four and five area. So that's just a lot of players to get through for JT or Kai to be able to play. And I think. At this point, Jay, it looks like they have confidence in JT enough to be able to continue giving him cracks at being a rotation player. Kai, I think, needs more developmental minutes, but how are you going to get those with so many guys in front of you? I think that's the only thing that it kind of is a roadblock for because, like you said, he is a bit more of like a pure forward now than like a wing slash forward uh, as he ages a little bit because he is 31 now. But I, com- I completely agree with everything else you said. Like, other than – the roster, you know, fit on court. He's a very good fit. He's a good player. Perfect. Like slots in that role that I talked about where he's not at the top of your team, but he's not at the bottom either. Um, and obviously the locker room presence too. Exactly. Exactly. I think I love what I saw from JT Thor down the stretch of last season. He clearly made a jump at the same time. I'd be petrified going into the season with JT Thor being my only backup power forward because one injury and JT Thor is starting and Kai Jones is in it back at power forward. And like, for me, that team is going back to the 2022 Charlotte Hornets, which was just not competitive. So for, for me, like I would rather add that Harrison Barnes piece. If then JT Thor proves that he is better than Harrison Barnes and takes that minutes from him. Great. That's a great problem to have. Let's figure it out. I wouldn't want to not make the signing to block that. I, I'd be like challenging JT Thor. Like you got to come take the minutes. you got to, you got to come in and, and make a play. So, um, yeah, I think I, I would be very nervous going into the season with JT Thor as the primary backup four. Um, I think he's like a matchup dependent four at times. And, uh, you know, if he plays the same level he did at the end of last season, which you, you'd hope he'd be able to maintain, then, okay, that's that's I could begin to get on board with that. But I don't want to just assume that that's like a dead cert. Yeah, I mean, personally, I, I am with you. It's it's like in the draft, like, you're not going to not draft a player because you have JT Thor. Like, you're not going to not <laughs> sign someone because you have JT either. And I am probably, like, a little bit further out on him than a lot of Hornets fans, even after the strong end to the last season. But 
yeah, it, it's just it it does create like a little bit of a positional. They just I, in my mind, like the Hornets just really need like a pure wing. Like they don't really have anybody that's not one of those players that's not you know projected to be one of the best players on their team, which. I think is kind of you need players that can alleviate the pressure off of those guys at the same position. Like even if you have two dominant wings or something like that. Yeah, I mean, there's guys out there in unrestricted free agency. I mean, I don't think Dylan Brooks is long for Charlotte, but he is a name that technically exists. Yeah, he uh, he's been connected to Houston like quite a bit. Yeah, over the Royce O'Neal is maybe an interesting wing. Like mm-hmm. he can play across, uh, good defender. Um, probably bring some of that versatility in that end. He's going to be an unrestricted free agent out of Brooklyn. Uh, Cam Reddish, I'm not a fan of that at all. Uh, Matisse Steibel sounds like he's going to play in Portland. Uh, Najee Marshall has a team option in New Orleans, but I imagine they'd probably probably exercise that. And even so, I'm not quite sure if he's quite dynamic enough. But the, you're right, there's just not a lot of wing options because they are very coveted. And that's why, like, like we talked about, the Kelly Ray is probably like, one of the better rotation w- w- wings on the market, like out of all those yeah. names there, I think like, you'd probably have rather maybe Royce O'Neal. I'd probably rather have, if I'm being honest. But outside of that, really, uh, see, I would, jo- Josh Hart is probably. Oh well, Josh Hart. Gonna... I'm just presuming he's back in New York, and that's off the table. Uh, he, he's obviously clearly light yeah. years ahead of those guys, but I just don't see it being possible. Yeah, that, I guess that's probably true too. Maybe Bruce Brown, but. Again, like he's probably a guy that's just going to go to another competitive team if he leaves Denver. I just, I mean, you sometimes you go like, well, you've got the championship now, so now do you just want to go get paid as much as you can? But if he wants yeah. to just go get paid as much as he can, he's not coming to Charlotte. No, Charlotte exactly. Can pay, they can pay uh, like the MLE. I can tell you, there's a queue around the corner of teams wanting to pay the MLE. Yeah. You can probably give him like a bigger role. So I, absolutely, I, I yeah. think it makes sense. I think he's a defensive versatile guy with Grant and the Hornets. I just don't see any way that he would end up in Charlotte. But if they can swing it, then, then great. I, th- I, th- I got one for you that I don't know how it fits off the court necessarily, but I actually think it would be a very high-level addition to the bench here is Josh Richardson. He spent split the season between the Spurs and Pelicans last year, but was a little bit underrated, I think, for, for both of those teams. He's like a good second level scorer that kind of offers like a another player archetype that they don't really have he can defend wings a little bit not a bad playmaker he doesn't have a ton of like huge weak spots in his game he's not a great shooter but he kind of just covers a lot of your bases and will probably be around the same price as Kelly Oubre maybe if not a little cheaper Um, but if you just wanted to switch it up and get a different player in there I thought he would be an interesting option. He's he's bounced around the league quite a bit. Uh, really? he, he was so good in Miami. Miami. Do you remember those he's years so in Miami? Good. So he, good. He, he emerged out of like, no, he was the 40th pick in 2015. And then in Miami, one of the years, he averaged 16 points, uh, three 3.6 rebounds, four assists. He's shooting only 41% from the field, but 36% from three or like high volume. Was a really good defender at the time. And then he's just gone to Philly, Dallas, Boston, San Antonio, New Orleans, all in just like five consecutive years been passed around. And it's, I don't know if he, maybe he got the payday in Philadelphia and maybe he just stopped applying himself quite as much. Kind of it feels just looking at, you know, his basketball reference page. That's kind of how it feels. Like he just, he's just become a non-factor in any team he's on. He's just a bit of a nobody, but I do agree. Like he would be an interesting name to add. 
the question is like, where do you add him? Do you add him instead of your backup point guard and you play Terry Rozier there? Do you add him instead of PJ Washington and PJ Washington goes elsewhere? Does Miles Bridges like that's the thing? Or something we've not talked about, you move off some of these back of the uh, roster guys, James Butler, that was Kai be Jones. Point. Yeah. I, I, do you think there's a chance? <clears throat> who do you think is most likely to move? Does Charlotte want to create more roster spots to add another wing like Josh Richardson? Who do you think would be most likely to be moved? See, like people might think it would be James Booknight, but I think Kai Jones is probably a little bit closer to that than we might think just because you just don't need as many bigs or it's basically you don't need as many centers because the experiments with Kai at the four, I think have been a resounding. Not experiment anymore. (laughs) Yeah. That's not like, and nobody I think wants to see more of that like in the future. So you basically would be like, all right, Kai, you are our third center going forward because they already extended Nick Richards. Mark Williams is obviously the starter. You just don't really need your third center to be like this developmental upside project that can't really like affect the game in short spurts and just come in and like leave his mark there outside of like, you know, like a dunk or like a crazy block or something like that. Like that, that position slot on like the depth chart, I think is usually much more efficiently used with like just a high impact veteran that can come in like biz or something like he, when he was like one of not, I guess he ended up being the starter (laughs) after all, but presumably what going into the years, he was like going to be that backup and could just come in or like for Phoenix or something like when he was there, like he can just come in whenever you need him and be solid enough on defense. Like, I don't think Kai is really able to do that. Um, And that like having your third center, just be somebody that can, or or moving your third center in exchange for somebody that's like your third wing or your second point guard, I think is just a much better use of your resources with how the Hornets roster has shaken out over the last couple of years. Cause like, I don't know if the team expected Nick Richards to hit sooner than Kai Jones, but that has happened. So yeah. now you kind of have, cause you can't, you, you really can't give Kai Jones or James Booknight the developmental minutes that they need right now with what they've shown previously. Like you can't be like, all right, you've, you've done enough to play. Well, not, not in Charlotte, or, not in Charlotte, but right, not in Charlotte, you, but if you, you still got them, for, well, yeah, you still got just, for you to give developmental minutes. That's I, true. I but I mean, that's the, that's the thing. I know, but I just, after three years, I think, Kai Jones was a project. This is what we signed up for. No, I agree. But I think by year three is when when the NBA minutes need to start coming. Not even from like, you know, a team building perspective, but just from like that player. It's like if you haven't met that threshold by the time you're 22, you're 23, like that there needs to be some very quick, you know, gaps that are being cleared here. And I I think that's more likely to happen on another team than the Hornets at this point, unfortunately. My piece of advice for Kai Jones is, uh, and he's blocked me on Twitter. I don't even know why. I'm like one of the biggest Kai Jones. <laughs> that is bewildering. Yeah. Like, what is out there. I don't this is probably the only time that we've talked negatively about him yeah. in like three years on the podcast um, is right now. He's got to lose the green hair. And like, <laughs> this is just that's, one of those things. Like, yeah. You want to talk about, I don't know. It, I'm having fun here, but like you want to show your, really fucking serious you're locked in like just lose lose the blue hair and and let's just let's lock it in um i know this is ridiculous but like it's the kind of thing that i do think it's just it doesn't make that first great impression i don't think like coaches 
I know that's unfair and what like Dennis Rodman had blue hair and Jeremy Sohan does and everything. I get it, but they were all really good. And Kai Jones isn't that yeah. good at the moment. And uh, not, I mean, this sounds ridiculous. I'm not saying that the reason Kai Jones isn't good at his hair. I don't know why I went down this. <laughs> Let's move on quickly. It might be. It might um, be. I'd, I'd land on the other side. I'd land James Booknight purely because um, I know Kai Jones is a hard worker. Back on the positive for Kai Jones. I know Kai Jones is a hard worker. Uh, James Booknight's work ethic off the court has been questioned a little bit at times. You now have Bryce McGowan's there. You now have Nick Smith Jr. there. And I think that you just have more like prospects that I'd rather prioritize developing in that position than Kai Jones, who I still think has some really interesting upside because of his unique athletic gifts um, combined with a, a hard work ethic. I still hope that there is a player in there that can come out. So, um, yeah, for me, I'd probably lean on the other side of Buck Knight. I think you also clear a little bit more salary by moving Buck Knight because he's yeah, drafted a little bit higher as well. Yep. Um, so I'd, I'd probably lean that way, I think, uh, if you asked to, like, if you were to move Buck Knight out and sign Josh Richardson, um, I, I think, I'd, I mean, you're probably having to pay someone to take on Buck Knight, I imagine. But I'd probably be, I, I, I get that. I would get that move. Uh, it would make some sense. Yeah. I, I, I think that that would be one of my, if I were, you know, in charge of the team or we're running a 2K simulation right now, that might be one of the first moves that I make is yeah. something similar to that. Maybe not necessarily like attaching an asset, but at least just making a swapping, you know, two depreciated value assets with another and team, I, maybe. And I know fans will be listening to this going like, why are you releasing a lottery pick who is young, still got potential for a 30 year old who's been passed around five teams in the last five years? Like that's, you know, it could backfire. It could, but you can't make every single trade and every single roster move about doing the thing with the most upside. It, it, yeah. You, you just end up building a fantasy basketball team, like say on NBA2K. It's, at times you just need to take little steps to get better. And Josh Richardson can be your bridge until you get someone else in and um, he can bring you good wing play and bring you three, four more wins a year. And that three, four more wins adds on to something else. And like... I understand in the grand scheme of things, these type of moves are unpopular. They seem short-sighted. But at some point, this team just has to be good and has to have adults in the room and needs to have well-respected veterans and it has to be deeper. We saw with injuries last season. Um, and, and it's not like the Hornets that we just talked about in the draft. They've drafted a bunch of high-upside guys. So it's not like Charlotte are mailing in guys with potential. They've just drafted four, eight, like, first freshman year guys um so they can still try and make some shorter uh priority win now moves now while also trying to hit on some of the, the younger bigger stuff at the same time i think they can balance the two yeah and that's like that's a great point because that is like literally what every single team in the nba that made a deep playoff run right now is doing like denver has their high level upper upper echelon players that they've had for a while and have been you know getting in place to play the roles that they have now. But like Christian Brown was one of their best players, like off the bench in the playoffs. Like they have Zeke Naji, who was another like upside guy, like at the spot that they got him anyway. Michael Porter Jr. was supposed to be like a top five pick in that draft before his medicals about his back fall them down. So like, it's just about balancing, like signing the, you know, not that there's really a correct number, but the correct number of like just good, impact players and then balancing that out with guys that can you know they might bottom out a little bit even at first but 
once if you can see out the return and the development, then it's going to pan out tenfold from where you drafted them or what you signed them at or something. And the Hornets have done some both on both ends. I think they've done some of those things, but they're just not quite there yet. And this offseason is a very pivotal point in, you know, take taking which or deciding which direction you're going to go as a team. Completely agreed. Uh, Chase, have you got anything else here for the listeners? I don't think so. I mean, is there any free agent that we didn't mention? I mean, we feels like we talked about half the league at this point. Like, obviously, the high, the higher tier guys. I, I don't know if we need to talk about Fred Van Vliet as a no, we do not. Uh, unrestricted free agent target. Uh, any like big a, trades? Let's put it that way. Yeah, right. He a certainly tra- tra- would be. He would I be mean, a good backup. We can talk about trades. At this point, it's like so hard. You'd be looking yeah. at every 30 team. I think they want to get a veteran leader who can play. Mitch Kupchuk said that. I don't think the three clear most obvious players to return, which are Dennis Smith Jr., P.J. Washington, Miles Bridges, are the, are the kind of guy that Mitch is talking about, which makes me think they are looking at a way to add someone else to the roster outside of those three. And that's probably my my prediction. I, I think they are going to do something else out here. Uh, there's different ways to get there, which you talked about today. Um, but I, I think something else will happen. So that's your that's your official prediction here. They're they're angling for somebody on the market here. It it is just so hard to determine who it's for. But yeah, I think that I think I'd probably fall in line with you that you know they're going to try. Mostly, I think they're going to try and keep their guys. You know, whether that's Miles, PJ, and Dennis Smith, or two of the three or something like that, get one guy or maybe, you know, a trade for a a higher name or bigger name and then sign like a lower tier locker room presence guy and then just kind of roll roll it into camp. I think my my official prediction would be re-sign Miles, just trade PJ uh, rather than than re-sign. Re-sign Dennis Smith and in when trading for PJ – either using the MLE on someone or doing a, a sign and trade with PJ to bring someone in for that, that 15th final roster spot. All right. Lock it in. Chase, great podcast from you today. I, I want to say great podcast from you. I think top, top, top performance. Definitely impressed. I'm keeping, keeping note of this for next season. Hey, this was my, I'm not sick, but this is my MJ flu game. I, I very much appreciate that from you, my friend. I think this, I mean, we're at an hour and 20 minutes right now. Anybody that listened to the whole thing, thank you very much. But I mean, we packed tons of information into this. This is a great podcast. We, I, I we covered a lot. <laughs> you can't listen to this. I, we don't to our own horn too much, but this is the perfect thing. If you need a prime of free agency, I mm. feel like you now have a good understanding of every different path the team can go down. And the, the positives and negatives of each. Um, I don't know what they're going to do, but I think we've laid out various routes. Um, excited to circle back in literally a week's time. We'll probably have maybe an answer to a lot of these questions. So, um, and we might also have Lamella Ball on a max contract extension. That might also happen by the next time next time we speak. I, I mean, I might know a guy that wrote an article about that pretty recently that anybody can go check out on allhornets.com here. So, yeah, That's I mean, they, they, that that would be... I mean, unless they make some like blockbuster trade, that, that would be the most exciting part of the offseason for me, like hands down. Like that would be awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, everyone enjoy free agency. 72 hours time will be even less by the time you hear this podcast. Uh, we'll be having free agency tracker on All Hornets website from Friday night. We'll be having coverage of any breaking news, any signings. Um, and we will speak to you next time. 
you stay classy. Thank you, everybody. See you soon.